it's very likely going to be the largest onboarding into crypto uh, we have seen so far. Sitting in the inside, I think that's just that's just what's going to happen in the next 12 months. This episode of Empire is brought to you by QuickNode. QuickNode is an end-to-end blockchain development platform that makes building Web3 apps super easy. No matter what you want to build, you can effortlessly develop any application by leveraging their Elastic APIs. Go to quicknode.com, use code Empire. You'll get a free month on their feature-backed build plan. That's right. Go to quicknode.com. You'll get a free month to start playing around. You'll hear more about QuickNode later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Quenta the premier derivatives platform on Optimism that offers deep liquidity, low fees, and up to 50x leverage across 24 different assets. You'll hear more about Quenta later in the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. We have uh, Alex Blania, the co-founder of WorldCoin, joining us. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Yeah, of course. Um, you guys have hubs all over the place. Uh, I know you are now global. So where where in the world are you today? Right now I'm in Berlin, but it's the, the team is mostly split between Berlin and San Francisco. We have uh, nice. we have another manufacturing spot in a smaller town in the middle of Germany, which is like its other crazy COVID story. Um, we can get to, but but yeah, these are like the three. Right. Now. Nice. Great man. Um, all right. So I think it'd be helpful. So I was, uh, the, the backstory of this episode is that I was a very skeptical world coin observer. Uh, didn't know much about it except for some big headlines that Sam Altman started OpenAI and then got, you know, in chat GBT and, and, and got kind of scared about the implications of AI. So then started this other company called world coin and he reached out to you and you co-founded this thing called WorldCoin with him. And I was incredibly skeptical. And then I went <laughs> to your office and you showed me the orb and we had a long conversation and you showed me the deck and all that kind of fun stuff. And it got a little more, I, 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 I kind of understood the why a little bit more. So I think the big like WorldCoin is building this protocol to prove personhood and like proof of humanity almost while preserving privacy. And I would like you to maybe start with like, where this idea came from in the first place and like the origin story of WorldCoin as, cause I think that is necessary to set up this conversation. So maybe, maybe let's go there first. Of course. So, um, yeah, you, you got parts of the story, right? So actually Sam, um, Sam started the company. I joined, I joined six months later. So Sam and Max, Max Nordstrom was the third co-founder, um, started the company uh, almost three and a half years ago at this point. And, uh, back then I was in, I was in theoretical physics, so I just I got this I got this message that uh, Sam is working on this crazy project, and I should I should consider joining as a software engineer back then, and then later became CEO. And so the original pitch, uh, the original story was uh, really around the fact, but basically like two big streams streams of thought. One is AI is going to change everything uh, much more than people realize, and this is at this point a very common idea. Uh, three three and a half years ago. Uh, people made jokes about that, so this was not this was like much more controversial back then. Kind of all the all the implications of of AI, and the two the two big things that came up were one uh, the necessity for uh, a universal basic income that is non government funded and uh, kind of really can can go globally. And this was like one of the big motivations for Rollcoin to lay the, the technological foundation to make that happen. And then the other big thing, as you as you mentioned, is proving humanness on the internet is going to become this major topic, uh, and it's it's going to be really really tricky because you have intelligent agents 
on the internet that can behave like humans. So this was this was like stream one, and the other the other thing is actually that I was very very early in uh, in crypto with uh, back then with Bitcoin and, and many other people in the team too. So like we we really do believe that the the premise of this where, we, where it all came from this idea that you can create a more effective financial system for the world that empowers billions of people is is incredible and one of the things to truly accelerate this vision we we think is to get to a billion people uh, as quickly as possible right that that can actually sign transactions have a wallet and can inter in, in, interface with each other so with those two things we we started working on this idea to launch a token by giving ownership in it to every human being just for being a human and one of the big necessities that you truly have to solve to get there is proving unique humanness on the internet because uh, nothing right now really works globally and and can get you there hmm. so is the problem that you're solving here the proof of humanness and the fact that like in five years, we'll live in a world where you have no idea if you're interacting with a human online, or is that like a necessary thing that you had to solve in order to be able to give out tokens? Well, it's it's both, right? Because so they kind of they um, inter interact with each other very strongly. So you have actually, if you if you zoom out, Rokun is three things. You have a token, uh, you have World ID, which is a an actual identity protocol that builds on top of the idea of proof of unique humanness. And then the last thing is a non-custodial wallet, right? Th these three things. And um, the, the, the protocol is an actual protocol, meaning other, other applications can connect to it as well. But yeah. if we start with the token and the proof of humanness, so let's say you want to launch a token that way, uh, or you want to do an airdrop uh, to, to, to say it like that, you need to solve civil resistance first. And if you want to solve it in a, in a global way, not only for... Uh, the United States or Europe, you actually have to solve identity on a very fundamental level. And if you flip the perspective and you're about to launch proof of personhood for the world, you need a bootstrapping mechanism to, to get you there and kind of to really align incentives of everyone to sign up for that. And that is a token, right? So both perspectives really uh, reinforce each other. And we think create this like very powerful flywheel to get to a billion people as yeah. quickly as we can. Yeah. Let's talk about proof of humanity and why that's important. So I think when you guys launched, it was like AI is going to take over and you'll need to know about humanity, like proof of humanness. And, yep. and it didn't really make any sense to anyone. And then ChatGPT GBT3 came out and everyone's like, oh my God, that was the first like big consumer thing of AI, I would say. That was when like, every, you know, everyone started talking about AI um, in like normal worlds, I'd call it. And then GBT4 yep. got even better. And I think maybe like, can you tell us what like GBT five or six or seven could look like in order to back into why proof of humanity is actually a really important problem to solve? Yeah. And, and interestingly, I think um, organizations like OpenAI will not be, uh, will, will not be kind of the big, uh, the, the big problem here, right? Because there's other ways to deal with that. The problem is uh, that all of this will be open source as well. So Assuming where we are right now, so you have like very powerful and uh, you almost have the spark of AGI already there. You have like truly intelligent systems in some sense. If you iterate that a couple of years in the future, and then if you also 
and let these systems interact with with interfaces, which is slowly starting to happen. So they can actually take actions online as a human could um, and get more intelligent on the way. Then what will happen is you as a you as a user of the internet, you will have no idea anymore that you actually interface with a with a human being, right? And that can be uh, it can go everything from annoying to an actual like big problem. Annoying in that sense, you're on Twitter and you, let's say you 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 battle for like hours with this account, and it turns out that's actually it's a neural network, not a human being. Uh, that's that's not amazing. Um, and I mean, even Elon was tweeting about this uh, recently a lot, right? Um, this this problem of bots swarming the internet, uh, but then problem also like it can get much more severe because these systems uh, can like without using like kind words, they can rip apart uh, a lot of the infrastructure we currently have, right? In terms of identity um, and many things we do on the internet. So hmm. it's just gonna drastically accelerate uh, as we go forward. And so, and quickly you, defining. And, and Alex, just one, one, yeah. one question on that is like, do you think that they'll be able to? So like, will they be able to take action? So like, um, let me use. There's a lot of crypto listeners uh, of Empire. Like, will they be able to? yield farm on on the next airdrop will they be able to like wash trade on blur will like in the gbt7 or something be able to like farm for airdrop uh farm an airdrop on Ar arbitrum or something like that is that the yeah yeah totally i am uh, totally that's gonna happen right because um to, to talk about the kind of the positive implications of that first is like it, it it's it's gonna go in the direction of work automation right so all the things that you right now do in excel spreadsheets or uh, whatever, like you, you will just interface with a neural network that does a lot of tasks for you. But the other consequence of that is, um, is what you just said, right? You can, you can yield farm, you can claim airdrops, you can even build up reputation on the internet, right? Which is one of these things that I think actually web of trust is becoming a non, a non credible solution anymore, because, uh, you have an agent that can just build out reputation and you have like a bad actor that basically launches whatever, let's say 10,000 of these instances and just say, hey, build up reputation on these 20 crypto networks um, over the next six months. And then you're there, right? Yeah. So hmm. that that brings you to the to the point. So in a world where neither digital content, meaning video or images, nor intelligence, uh, so like captchas or more complicated actions are discriminator anymore. What what it means to be a human being on the internet? Uh, the only thing that you're left to kind of left with really is to bridge to the real world and and kind of in some sense. I'm a physicist, so I always talk like that that, that way. But measure what it means to be a human being, right? And that is uh, that is biometrics. So that's why we we ended up with the conclusion that the only way to solve this problem fundamentally is to use biometrics and make it really privacy preserving through cryptography. Um, yeah. And that was like a crazy statement three years ago, but I think at this point it sounds more reasonable. All right. So you've got the, the, uh, so you've got the orb, right? And yep. everyone's scared yep. of the world coin is scanning everyone's eyeballs and you get a token and this is some big psyops thing to like uh, a big scary privacy thing going on right now. So maybe let's <laughs> get into the orb. Um, can you tell us sure. the story of the orb? Why do you need an orb? Why do you need to scan my eyeball? Why can't you just scan my face or my fingerprint? Sure. So um, 
So we're going to walk you through basically where <laughs> we started, right? Because we we didn't want to build a hybrid device. Uh, we, we, it, this is like, it's not that we have been excited to build an orb uh, three years ago. And we set up to do that. Actually, we built prototypes of pretty much everything else before that. We built prototypes of Web of Trust implementations, the major ones out there of, um, actually, let's take a step back. I think proof of personhood means someone is a unique human being on the internet. So you're unique and alive, right? That's the, that's the statement. Um, and you have three big ways to, to do that. Uh, one is web of trust, meaning you, you build up reputation over time on the internet and, uh, verifiable credentials, DID, Sylvan tokens, all of that falls to some degree, at least it touches this idea. Uh, the second one is biometrics and the third one is, uh, you use the government identity system. So KYC, right? So these were the three big buckets and we thought through all of them and, um, so web of trust is, we just didn't see it working. We talked to many of the most influential researchers at the time and still do. And I think actually we will build a version of web of trust on top of Rollcoin, but you always need, uh, trusted seats to make web of trust work. So it's really hard to bootstrap that. So we basically ended up with biometrics is the only way, uh, to get there and which was already a painful insight, right? Because, um, we actually have a cryptography background and, and privacy background. It's, it's not something we got like inherently excited about, but then within biometrics, um, the really hard thing and, and why it's very different to the things you use in your daily life. Let's say your iPhone is that for proof of person, how do you have to solve the problem of deduplication? So, uh, you are unique under, let's say a billion people versus what your iPhone is doing. It is proving that you re-identify yourself, right? There's an embedding stored on your phone. You try to log in again, a new embedding gets created, matched to this previous one. And if that works, you can use your phone. And other than fraud, that's fairly easy um, <clears throat> because you don't need much information because it's really hard for me to look exactly like you. Uh, but it's really easy for me to look like an arbitrary human being, basically. And so what that means... Um, kind of an information theory is that you need much more entropy about each user. You need much more information about each user and uh, face doesn't get you there. So just the, the amount of information you can get out of face is not enough to get to a billion plus people. The same is true for fingerprint uh, and the same is true for many other things. It's not for, not true for DNA, but that's obviously uh, even more Wait, scary. Alex, what, what, why? What, what do you mean by it doesn't get you there? Like it doesn't because there's, it, there's not, there's, um, like it's one in one in every 10 million or something fingerprints are, are alike or like, what, what do you mean? It doesn't get, get you there. Well, it means that, um, the error rates get too high. So you basically would just reject, you would start rejecting a lot of people. And what is important to understand is you actually, you, you hit a wall, right? Because you have an error rate that, that explodes almost exponentially. Uh, so you don't have like a constant error rate of 5%, but rather, uh, with every user you add, you have an exponentially increasing error rate. So let's say after 20 million or 50 million or hundred million people, you would just start rejecting everyone. Right. So it's a really, really hard problem. And, um, yeah, both, both fingerprint and face just don't have that property. You, you, you just cannot distinguish 1 billion or even saying like 3 billion, 4 billion people. It, it will just not work. You hit a hard limitation. Hmm. Okay. So face doesn't work fingerprint doesn't work. So then you have to scan the eyeball. So then you guys set out to go build 
an eyeball scanner. And, then, and that was not yes. an easy task. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, we started with, um, we started with testing, uh, we started with testing all the, all the ones out there. So, uh, we, we invested a lot of time in building the orb. So this is nothing we wanted to do yet again. So we started testing all the ones that are out there. Um, but they're usually used in a different context. They're used either yet again for re-authentication and they're used by government agencies, let's say, where you're in an airport and a controlled environment where uh, the lighting is perfect and there's no fraud, right? So you, we realized we have to build our own hardware um, by two big constraints. One is security. So making sure that the device is not easily frauded. So you, you, you show it a deep fake of a, of, of a, of a, of a face or an eye. Um, and you, you could easily fool the device uh, that, that's, or you attack the hardware. So everything around security. And the second big thing is everything around uh, accuracy. So, and accuracy, you, you fundamentally have to, um, have to have like a very high imaging quality. So we, we build our own lens, we build our own imaging sensor, uh, not, not imaging sensor, but uh, imaging board. So I, I can actually show you one if, if, if you want for a second. Show me. Yeah, let's see it. Uh, that's an orb from the inside. So you have, you have basically a, a custom imaging board here in, in the front, uh, many, many fraud sensors that just make sure whatever you see is an actual human being. Uh, then here and are, those, are those all cameras? What are we looking at here, Alex? Are those cameras? Um, so these are, okay. Sorry. This is like a little bit hard to maneuver, but you have, uh, infrared LEDs in three different wavelengths. So the first big thing is, uh, you image. Uh, not not the, the same way you do a photograph, but you image in infrared because uh, fundamentally because very dark eyes are hard to image, right? So you use a different wavelength. And so that's basically your infrared flash, but you have them in three different wavelengths. So uh, you can get more information out of it. And then here you have like fraud sensors. So you have a thermal camera, time of flight, and uh, here you have a mirror that is basically tracking and a custom lens right behind that mirror. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing is um, all of the computation happens locally on a device. So we basically trained uh, seven neural networks that do all the job on, on the fly and calculate basically unique embedding of you on the device, sign it, uh, and that's the only thing that actually leaves the device. So it's, uh, and then there's zero knowledge proofs that separate that from your wallet and all the actions you ever will do. So the only thing we or anyone else could ever prove is that you actually are unique or you have signed up before. Everything else is self-custodially with the user. So it's hmm. it's fundamentally built on top of Ethereum. It's uh, the, the token is in ERC20, but then also uh, the way we do the zero knowledge proofs, there's a Merkle tree on Ethereum mainnet. So it's this was like a lot, but... Quick hmm. overview. How much? How much did it cost to to just build that one camera, or to build the one the the sky the scanner? What what, what are we calling it these days? The orb. The orb. Oh man, um, probably a total of fifty million dollars. Wow. It was like it was like, it's it's by far the the most um, cutting edge device to do that thing, and it's fully open source. Um, so it it was quite some effort. <laughs> Okay, walk me through where I think the big concern here. Okay, so you built this eyeball scanner. You've got you've got you've got your orb. They're pretty nicely designed, by the way. They look they look good. Um, Thank you. But where does the data 
where does the data live? That's the, I think that's the overarching big scary question that everyone is asking is where does the data live? And are you actually doing with the data what you say that you're doing with the data? So maybe, maybe you can just address that directly. Of course. So, um, you sign up. So first you download an app. Let, let's talk from the user perspective. How does it actually look like to sign up for Bitcoin? You, you download an app and you actually did this, Jason. So you, you know, it works. So you download an app, a non-custodial wallet, you click on a map. Um, hopefully there's a device somewhere near you. You go there and you click verify. Now you show a QR code and the device reads that QR code. And then 30 seconds later, you receive your world ID, uh, which is actually a separate key pair. So it's a separate uh, semaphore key pair. That semaphore is like this uh, from the Ethereum Foundation, a project that we used uh, to verify yourself against everyone else on the internet. And then you receive an Ethereum wallet where you receive the Rollcoin token itself. So you receive two different things once you sign up. And what actually happens during the sign-up process is first, the orb does a lot of... Um, Liveness checks, so it makes sure that w whatever we see is an actual human being uh, versus a printed something or displays. Once that happens, uh, all of that is happens locally, so there is no data actually used device. Um, once that happens, we image the eye, and the eye because it has a lot of information in it, the kind of the muscle of the eye has a lot of information, and then a neural network calculates a unique embedding out of out of the image on the device, uh, signs it, and that's the only thing that actually leaves the, leaves the, leaves the device. So we don't have like a, a database of, of biometric data or anything. And then what happens on the back end is a uniqueness check happens. And once that uniqueness check happens, uh, it gets inserted into a Merkle tree. And then the user can prove after sign up uh, with a zero knowledge proof that he is included in the Merkle tree. So. Mm. User, user, you stay fully pseudonymous, um, and there's just no way to get around that. Hmm. So I want to, um, first of all, I think people's privacy preferences are really funny. Like, and you've, you've got me thinking a lot about this since uh, since we met in San Francisco. Like, you, you, you okay. look at a lot of people, and everyone instantly hates on the orb. But meanwhile, they're opening their iPhone 150 times a day, and they're scanning their face yep. and giving it to Apple. And even people yeah. who don't do the face scan on 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 your iPhone, have you ever heard of a license where you are giving the government your face face ID uh, every couple of years. Yeah. So I think people's privacy preferences are pretty funny, but I, but I will say I did go to, um, so I went to Apple's face ID and privacy data privacy website. And it says mm -hmm. the there. So their thing is face ID data does not leave your device and it is never backed up to iCloud or anywhere else. Like one simple sentence that's, that's never leave, never leaves, never goes to iCloud or anything else. Yep. On your guys' site, you said, um, Biometric data is encrypted and stored securely. Your biometric data is first processed locally on the orb and then sent via encrypted communication channels to our distributed secure data stores where it is encrypted at rest. Once it arrives, your biometric data is permanently deleted from the orb. So my understanding there is it, it, it is going the data is going to a data store. And once it's in a data store, even if it's encrypted, there are it, it still can be hacked or lost or something of that sort. Yeah, at some, I mean, you guys have, um, probably have amazing cryptographers and stuff, but but there still is the opportunity for millions and eventually billions of people's private like data to be lost. No, so the default is actually, and you did this. The default is uh, that this does not happen. So you have like you have a screen where 
because right now we're in beta. That's going to happen. It's going to stop soon as well, as you know, because we're right about to launch. That's why we talk and that's why it's an exciting time. But so the default is uh, that that does not happen. So meaning everything gets computed locally on the device. And the only thing that leaves mm -hmm. the device is the, um, is, is the iris code. However, you have the option to kind of help us with chaining the neural network. So kind of help improve Rockcoin is, is on one of the screens. Less than 50% of the users actually do that. Um, and then what you just said is true, right? Because it is, there's a lot of neural networks happening and we kind of, we need to train them. We don't need to have the data after training is done. So we're going to delete everything, but right now that's an option. So what you just quoted is involves that, that training piece. I see. I see. So you're basically, you, you give the user the ability to lead, to delete the iris image when signing up. The only thing that actually leaves in, in that scenario would be an, an iris code, which is really just like a random string represent that represents the person's uniqueness. And then Correct. after that, you guys, which we can talk about in a sec, is you guys make these zero knowledge proofs. Uh, you make zero knowledge proofs that you are a unique person using a private key that's associated with the string, which effect, which effect, uh, effectually is just telling you guys that I am a unique, re real, a real unique human being out of a set of like N registered users where you don't know any of them. Is that directionally correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. And actually, um, okay. so we, we are still working through uh, the decentralization roadmap. We're going to publish it in more detail. We already published the first one a couple of months ago. But right now where, where the backend is, that whole service has to be decentralized, right? Because um, eventually the Rollcoin Foundation just sets the standard for how to build such a device and kind of which neural networks to use, but then other people should be able to connect their devices. And that comparison, the uniqueness check has to be fully decentralized, right? So, but that means mm -hmm. that it actually will be um, in the public. So, because the only thing it is, is like it's a from the perspective of, let's say, you would hack us and you would hack that service, the only thing you would have is a set of, of codes that are not attached to anyone. Right. So you actually could not do anything with that. Yeah. Alex, why? Um, so, I, so I get why you can't use like a fingerprint and why you can't use a face scan, which then ended up leading to this iris scan. But my understanding is that in the, in the US, the government's like wildly inefficient, obviously, and we all know that. But like there are some other countries where they have actually experimented with things like this. Like yep. in Estonia, everyone has a digital, a digital card. In India... Um, I forget the ex specific example, but I think, I think they've done something very similar to this. So like, yep. why can't, maybe you could talk through like your thoughts on, I think India is probably the best example. They've done something like this. Estonia's maybe hasn't done the, like, give you money for scanning something, but they've done something of this sort. Like why, what, what are your thoughts on those experiments and, and why can't you rely on government? The, the short answer is you can rely on some governments or you probably could. The question is then still yeah. if you should, which is like I think one of the fundamental questions of of why this whole space exists, right? Is um, maybe you shouldn't. Um, so the what Rokan is really doing is like it's I think it's taking to flip it actually something like World ID will exist, right? It, it will exist. You will have to verify on the internet that you are a human being, right? And and. Elon's version of you just pay $8 each month, I think is a terrible solution for a number of reasons. Using government KYC um, will work for some countries. It, it will not work for the majority of the world, right? Because uh, most countries just don't have a great identity system. So Rockcoin is doing that in a decentralized, 
open source and privacy preserving way. So I do think, or I hope it is the best way to address a really, really big problem um, in a provable way that is not dependent on governments. Adhar is what you just mentioned, actually, Adhar in India um, is actually did incredible things to the country, right? It, like it really accelerated the development of the whole country. So they, they did something, as you said, very similar. Obviously, with very different privacy implications because they don't have uh, zero knowledge proofs or any of that. Um, but still, it, it was very empowering to many people. Yeah. Can you? So what happened in India? So they they my understanding is they issued a a twelve digit like random number, which was kind of like this like gave you this unique identity in India. Yeah. So um, I think it happened in the early two thousands, but. As you probably know, Balaji talks about that a lot. I think India is one of the countries with the made like the, the biggest leaps in terms of infrastructure uh, in, the, in the last few decades. And one of the big leaps they did is uh, they built Adhar, which is a, um, an identity system that basically scaled to the whole country, 1.3 billion people, even the poorest people that have been cut out of everything. So before they did Adhar, uh, I think 30 to 40% of the country were not banked fundamentally because they were poor or like live in very kind of very rural areas. And they rolled out Adhar to reach everyone. Um, and so they used um, hours biometrics because they came to the same conclusion that that's the only thing that works at that scale and enrolled 1.3 billion people at this point, almost the whole country. Um, and then a couple of years later, on top of that, they built uh, UPI, which is uh, basically a payment network. And I think the most successful payment network we have right now in, on, on the world yep. in, in terms of just yep. transaction volume and things like that. So the big insight of Adhar and the India stack, that's how they call this whole thing, is if you solve identity uh, in a fundamental and inclusive way, it empowers a lot of payment and financial use cases on top of that. And those two things together uh, really accelerate the whole economy. So it's it's a crazy success story um, in many ways. Hmm. I want to get back to one thing that I am thinking about from our, the beginning of this conversation that I don't fully yep. understand, which is you talked about the benefits of like, let's say I'm gonna I'm making up that GBT six or GBT seven is the thing, but like, why is proof of humanity a problem? I, I don't, I don't, or like proof of, yeah, proof. Of, yeah. Why, why is this such an issue? Um, Cause I understand like the benefits of having like a GBT six or a seven, but like, I just want to make sure I fully understand like why that's such an issue to, to solve. Yeah. Not, not just for, by the way, Alex, not just for Worldcoin. I know why you guys have to solve it, but like, why should we be thinking about like this proof of humanity issue? So I do think, um, Pretty much, so right now when you're on internet, I think the default assumption is what you what you interact with is a human being, right? That's 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 a good default interaction. On Twitter, there's a lot of bots, but it's not it's not crazy yet. The thing is, if um, if you have these like intelligent systems and very capable systems, and you can use them uh, to civil attack all kinds of services that we use, like you can start with social media. And maybe you want to flood social media with uh, messages or political messaging that is just uh, you, you want to emphasize or you, you want to change even, you want to help change elections, let's say, right? All of this is like really bad stuff. Um, it will be impossible to track any of that because 
these systems mm. behave like humans, they tweet like humans. It's not like you cannot just have filters that detect these these kinds of people, right? So that's yeah. the social media context, which I think is very easy to understand. There's a lot within the crypto space that I think is very easy to understand where yeah. uh, yield farming, airdrop claiming, all of those things, um, building up reputation. So it's it's just very foundational to your online identity that you are a human being and that should not get compromised. We, uh, I'm, I met with the chief data officer at like a top, I don't know, they're probably like a top 15 bank or maybe top 20 bank just by mm -hmm. like size, uh, like global top 20 bank. And mm -hmm. he said that their number one issue that they're worried about, not in a one to two year span, but in like a five year span is proof of humanity. Uh, wow. And that was a very interesting, yeah, interesting to hear him, uh, hear him say that. All right, quick break from the show. There is this kind of overused cliche saying in crypto, but it's true. Bear markets are building and everyone tells you that and everyone knows it. What people don't know is that if you're building apps in crypto and building apps in Web3 without using QuickNode, you are building on hard mode. So QuickNode is, is this amazing blockchain development platform. It reduces costs, streamlines the time to market for your app, and it offers consistent performance at scale. For folks that have built apps, you will know that there are a couple key points here. One, QuickNode offers unlimited endpoints across 18 different chains and 35 different networks. They have response times that are two and a half times faster than any of their competitors, 99.99% uptime and a dedicated 24-7 customer support team. If you've been listening to Empire for a while, you might know that I am no Gigabrain developer, but I do know a lot of devs and a lot of great product teams at other places. So when I see Coinbase and Twitter and Adobe and OpenSea and Dune Analytics all leveraging and trusting QuickNode to power their business, that's when we get excited and that's when we want to partner with them. They're the best solution for any leading crypto and Web3 company that is seeking an end-to-end -end blockchain development platform right out of the box. So my message to you, get off hard mode, let QuickNode handle the blockchain infrastructure, let QuickNode handle the security let QuickNode handle the performance while you focus on building beautiful products for your users. Visit quicknode.com, super easy. You can use code EMPIRE. You'll get a free month on their build plan. So don't forget to use code EMPIRE. Santi and I got to get credit for this one so they know that we sent you and you will get a first month free. Hope you guys enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by Quenta. Trade smarter with Quenta. Quenta is the premier derivatives trading platform on Optimism that features deep liquidity, low fees, and up to 50x leverage across 24 different assets, all powered by synthetics. If you want to trade crypto, forex, or commodities on-chain, Quenta is the platform for you. It's built for both the casual degen and advanced traders. It offers stop losses, limit orders, cross-margining, and a whole bunch of other advanced order types. And unlike most of today's Web3 products, Quenta has a super easy to use interface, including a position dashboard, charts, and a leaderboard for a seamless experience. Go to quenta.io, that's quenta.io right now. Tell them we sent you, tell them Santi sent you, tell them Yeno sent you, tell them Empire sent you, quenta.io. Hope you guys enjoy. Uh, okay, so what, what, is the, uh, what is the crypto stack here, Alex? And, and why, why does there need to be why I think maybe we could start with like why do you need to build this on crypto like on crypto rails um, and then we can get into like we'd love to learn about the actual crypto stack. Sure. So why do you need to build it on crypto rails? Is just um, 
the whole thesis of the space, right? Like you want to make it decentralized. You want to make it resilient against all kinds of attacks. You want to make it provable. You want to make it uh, open source, right? Like this whole why we why we are here in the first place in the space is are all the things that such a important infrastructure piece should be, right? Identity on the internet that billions of dollars or billions of people will rely on at some point should be fundamentally decentralized and provable and open source and all of these things. So that's fundamentally why we build on crypto. Um, and then the other thing is like identity and finance are very closely connected. Uh, and so we have a non-custodial wallet that lets you send crypto. It uses Uniswap. It's, it's, uh, fully built on DeFi uh, and you can deploy that globally, right? You can, you can deploy financial services immediately globally. Uh, that's, that's the dream. So that's, that's why we use crypto. Nice. nice. And then, so what, what's the stack? What do you, the, the stack yeah, is, you um, so yeah, the stack is three things, right? So world ID, world app, uh, world coin, world coin, the, t the token itself will be an ERC 20. Um, it's going to be, deployed on optimism at launch. Then you have uh, world ID, which is fundamentally, it's like a, it's a Merkle tree and user user you prove that you include it in the Merkle tree and that's deployed on Ethereum mainnet. Of course, there will be, uh, there will be um, bridges to all other major L1s, right? So there's no reason why it shouldn't work on Solana and you can do the Merkle proof. And then the app itself is, uh, is a non-custodial Ethereum wallet. Um, you have two separate key pairs in there, one for your world ID that you can use to verify the different services of your knowledge proofs that you are you. And the other thing is just a fundamental Ethereum uh, wallet to receive your world coin and, and other tokens in there. And then we we let you swap tokens with Uniswap in there as well. Uh, it's, a, hmm. it's a Gnosis safe wallet. So that's like a few headlines. Nice. Why did you guys choose Optimism? Um, just fundamentally aligned with our values, I think is, is, is a big one. Uh, I mean, Arbitrum was also like a, a big favorite, but we, we've been close to Liam uh, and the crew since, since like a while. So we decided to go with optimism. Nice. Cool. Um, what about, uh, like, so within the wallet space, one big issue, like take, taking Worldcoin out of this, but like one, one big issue in the wallet space is uh, like wallet recovery, I would say. Yep. Um, yep. And just kind of like the clunkiness and the UI UX problems of, of wallets. Like how do you guys think about wallet recovery, especially because when you start thinking about wallet recovery, in this case of Worldcoin, there's like, then there's the second order impact of like, is there an ability of people not to just get access to money, but to get access to someone's identity, which is a really scary idea. So how, how do you think through this? Yeah, so first we split up the problem in, in two different things. One is your recovery your world ID, and then the other thing is recover your wallet, right? Your financial wallet. And those two things are actually fully separate for a reason, right? In in, in our case. So uh the financial wallet, we have we will use the same thing as ever, like the same primitives as everyone else. You will not be able to recover that with your biometrics in any way or shape because we think that would be dangerous um, for fundamentally for privacy, because what that would mean is that you would need to link your biometrics to your wallet. And then on the wallet transactions, of course, are transparent. So that's, that's not great. Um, 
however you roll that, you will be able to recover by just showing up in front of an orb. Simply speaking, there's like more steps to that, but you can just uh, basically recover that if you have lost access or even you have sold it to someone and you want to get it back. <laughs> um, so there's like a lot of game theory behind that part, but yeah. Hmm. What, what's been the toughest issue in terms of building all of this? Is it, is it the orb? Is it the, is it this identity recovery? What's been the hardest thing? Um, well, we went through a lot of different phases over, over the time. So definitely for the first two years, the hardest part was the, was the hardware because we had to build everything from ground up. And, uh, then we like, once we have built it, we went into production and one of the big things I learned having a really nice prototype and then producing it at scale are two very different problems. So, uh, that certainly was the biggest issue until now. Then going from there, the other thing was actually understanding how to build the wallet because we fundamentally didn't want to build a wallet yet again. We, we actually, um, like we wanted to use others, but if you're actually on the ground, you talk to a lot of users, you understand first that most users have never heard about crypto and two, that the things that you and I understand really well are completely new to those users, right? So you cannot use as much as love rainbow, you cannot use rainbow and deploy that to my mother and ask her just like use that in your daily life that will not work. So you have to just dump it down, make it much simpler. So we basically deployed product teams on the ground in the markets. We are active right now for beta, which is uh, Portugal, Kenya, Argentina, and, uh, and India, uh, Bangalore and Delhi. Mm. And just like iterated on the product to make it easy to understand and easy to use. And of course, we're still not there and it's going to take a long time, but uh, that was like the last couple of months was just really getting into that. And then I think going forward, the biggest challenge will be around the operations, right? Because you have to send these orbs globally, you have to deploy them in all large cities and you have to yeah. operate a fleet of that. So this is going to be a logistical uh, nightmare, uh, but we're going to get it done. So that's, I think, going forward, the biggest yeah. thing. And if I, if I uh, remember correctly, when you explained it to me, it's almost like a franchisee model where you can, people can make money by putting orbs around the, the world or in like in their cities and in their towns. Did I, did I get that right? Yeah. I mean, it's the, uh, yet again, it's the early, it's the early stages of a decentralized model, right? Because yeah. you don't, you don't want to have a centralized entity that um, sends these orbs out and, and operates them, but rather you want to have a way for uh, people globally to op operate these devices and get incentivized by the protocol to verify people, right? So that's how it should work. Yeah. You should be in, in Lisbon and say, I want to become, I want to operate an, a Rokon orb, uh, receive it, uh, verify, and then receive Rokon with every signup you do. So in, yeah. in some case, I think how, how you should see it is uh, there's going to be a Rokon token and Bitcoin used 5% of the yearly issuance to secure the network. I think Rokon will use 5% to grow the network in terms of the user base. And I think that's going to mm -hmm. be quite 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 crazy to see because we are already at 1.6 million users almost 600,000 you have, have 1.6 million users right now yeah we have like so people that verified and we have around 600,000 MAUs in the app so it's already i think the fourth largest wallet in the world right now 1.6 million users who have scanned scanned with the orb and have set yeah. up and have verified their identity well wow. yeah. um that would make 
if you take out the big crypto exchanges, that would probably make you guys a top five crypto project in terms of um, yeah monthly actives and daily actives. Yeah, and that's without even trying. So we are right now we are only at two hundred active devices still um, because it only makes sense after full launch to truly scale. And so we are now weeks away from launch. Um, and and, la- yeah, and launch means taking it out of the limited availability, taking it out of beta and, and, and launching the app globally, right? And launching also, I mean, well, WorldID will go, uh, will be fully open. So you can, as a service, you can just integrate with that. Um, we have like some cool partnerships there to announce over the coming months. Then it means the app is globally available. And then the last thing is it means the token goes on it as well. So these are like the three things, like everything goes out of beta. And then, of course, in the months after, we go from 200 to uh, the 2,000 devices we've produced, which will already make a lot of noise um, in terms of just yeah. throughput and, and active users. Yeah. What What's the revenue model here, Alex? Well, I mean, it, it has to be, um, again, it has to be a, a protocol. So that means that this will not be the case in the beginning, but at some point, once kind of once everything is truly at scale and people really use it for important services, uh, what the community can decide or, or the governance can decide at some point is to engage, for example, fees around WorldID. So, let's say users log into your service, maybe you have to pay fees in Rollcoin um, to to do that. Then, of course, uh, we can launch our own L two at some point because, as you alluded to. It will likely be uh, a very large or the largest user base, which itself is very interesting. So these are these are only two things that come to mind. And of course, the wallet itself uh, will have a lot of activity in it as well. So you could go down almost like the the, the Coinbase route, the Coinbase route, and launch something like Base, which is built on the OP stack. Yes, we could. What's the what's but uh, by your smile? I gotta ask. What's the timeline on that one? <laughs> uh, as soon as possible, we will, yeah. we will talk about we will talk about it soon. It's not it's not like it's not right around the corner, but it's gonna happen. Um, yeah, nice. It's gonna happen. What uh, have you thought about the MEV model of of L twos? Not really. I like at this point we are we are like this is this is uh, these are the things I worry about in, in two, three months. Right now we are mostly on World ID, the, the World app. I travel a lot. I talk to a lot of users still, um, so it's it's been a nice. crazy, crazy couple couple months. Yeah, man, seems like it. Um, there was this Edward Snowden tweet that I'm curious about what what you think of it, which like was was one of the big like viral world coin tweets. I'd say so it was when Sam tweeted out in October 2021. He said introducing mm-hmm. World Coin, a new cryptocurrency that will be fairly distributed to as many people as possible. Um, and then and then Edward Snowden kind of quote retweets and says. This looks like it produces a global hash database of people's irises scans for fairness and weighs away the implications by saying we deleted the scans. And he says, yeah, but you saved the hashes produced by the scans, hashes that match future scans. Don't catalog eyeballs. Um, I think I got this answered before, but what is the what what's your what's your like simple response to to Snowden's criticism here? So there's two things. Like one is um, he actually understood um the the blog post back then wrong and and to be fair like it actually pointed towards us i think we didn't write it clearly enough back then so there's like one part of actual 
technical misunderstanding back then. I would love to talk to him about this at some point. But then there's these, the, this other thing, which honestly, it's just the case is um, we use biometrics and we use we, we generate iris codes and we think that's the only way to solve a really hard problem. And of course, if you, I, I talk to all the critics I can find at this point, right? And some people just say like, hey, you should not, you should not use biometrics for anything or you should not normalize biometrics and this is bad, right? All of those things, like that's, that's true. Um, and if people, if other people find better solutions, uh, I would be excited to see that, but that's, that's just the case. Yeah. Um, what have government folks thought about this? And like, how has the government reaction differed from maybe a country like the United States to somewhere like in folks in Africa that you've spoken with, for example? Yeah. So interestingly, the majority of the discussion around this has always been around crypto assets more than anything, mm. right? Because that's, that's what, what governments have opinions on right now is uh, they just fundamentally dislike crypto or don't want to have it in their country or something. And so interestingly, the, the wallet part of, of Rollcoin was like the, the biggest discussion point at this point is don't bring crypto to this country, don't normalize it or something. Um, but I mean, everything has been super friendly at this point. Uh, so we never, we never really had kind of serious discussions. Um, around proof of personhood, the discussion was mostly around like, wow, uh, holy shit, you guys have been like three years early to something that we are just about to understand mostly. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's talk UBI. UBI is starting to feel like, uh, <laughs> this yeah. inevitable thing. Um, yep. what is your take on UBI and how it, how it plays in with Worldcoin? It's one of the, um, like the original paper I received from Sam. So like, imagine this, this moment, I was like sitting at Caltech, I was doing theoretical physics all day. It was like far from startups and, or crypto back then. And I received that email uh, saying Sam, Sam is working on this project. And I think the original paper was stating, um, a path to non-state UBI for the world or something like that, uh, financed by, by AI. So this was like one of the, one of the big initial motivators. We then actually avoided talking about it for a while because I think it has this political touch that I think actually doesn't apply because if it, the technology, if, if a technology generates UBI, it's very different than a government redistributing, uh, economic benefits through taxes. It's, it's like a very different situation. And so you actually have to treat it very differently, but so yeah, what, what I think about UBI is I think it's, um, it will have to happen uh, in, in one way or another uh, in, the, in the coming in the coming decades. It's really hard to say when, and it's really hard uh, to say in which context. But I think it's incredible when it happens as well, right? And and it's and that's well done because it can lift uh, billions of people out of poverty. It can just elevate the living standard uh, of the world by a centralized technology that generates just like a lot of revenue in that sense, which is. AI. So just if you fast forward, I don't know, five years and you imagine you have, uh, wherever we are, GPT seven at this point, and that generates like a lot of economic value, uh, by just solving all of these problems, 
um, writing software and deploying all of these different things. Um, then you have like a, a very centralized thing that generates a lot of revenue and a lot of value. And so having a way to distribute that to the whole world, I think is going to be incredible. And hmm. uh, to do that, you need two things. You need a way to make sure everyone can verify you at any system. And then you need a way to economically reach them. So you need a, you need money. So that's Rollcoin. <laughs> you have every lady and every Rollcoin. This is, this, is this is either the scariest thing I've ever seen, Alex, or this is like makes mainstream internet money wallet like available for everyone, makes UBI possible at global scale, enables we haven't even talked about voting, but like voting is more and big, yeah. a bigger and bigger and bigger issue in, in elections these days. And it yep. enables like trustless digital voting and yep. it builds proof of humanity in an age where AI makes disinformation easier than ever. And and I yep. get that from this guy said Cedric makes on Twitter. And uh, I, I, I think he nailed it. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, man. I yeah, don't even have a question there. I just, yeah. Um, I, I would like to hear why you think it could be the scariest thing, actually. Um, if you have, if you have anything to point to, and we can talk about. But this, the scariest thing is because, um, I when you tell me that you the scare when you tell me that you guys what you guys are doing with privacy and with data, I have to trust you. I don't. I am not smart enough and don't understand zk proofs well enough and don't understand the technology well enough so i have to nod my head and be like that sounds right that like that sounds right and then there's also the element of like i hope that's what you're actually doing and like i've met you before seem like a trustworthy guy but like yep. there's an element of trust there um and i think one of the things that makes crypto so so great is like there's um it like starting with bitcoin first is like you you you're able to remove that trust layer um, and the trust gets put into code and it, and it, and it gets taken out of like people's hands. And I feel like this reintroduces a lot of people. Um, and yep. so that, that, that's why I'm thinking about this in that way. Well, I mean that the same is true here, right? Everything, um, it, it kind of comes in steps, but right now the majority is already open source. So that means hmm. maybe you yourself cannot verify, but other people in the community can verify what we're doing. And hmm. actually I hope they do. Um, and it starts to happen much more. People actually start getting into repos and start reviewing things. The hardware mm -hmm. is, is um, mine is like one small security board uh, that is going to come in the coming months. Everything is open source. So you can literally, you can check everything. Um, of course, like the, what, what then people that kind of operate in that space on a more technical level will say like, well, but it's much, much more complicated because you have hardware devices and they cannot verify that these hardware devices actually run that firmware that I've seen. Right. And that's, mm. uh, also that is solvable, but so yes, of course it's like fundamentally it's much harder uh, than Bitcoin. We have like a, a fairly simple contract that you can verify. It's, it's a much more complicated tech stack, but all of the other things you just stated, um, will be true here too. So it's, yeah, all of this is intended as a protocol, not a company. Right, uh, mm. because then I think it would be. Yeah, I saw you guys launched the pro yeah the protocol. Yep. The yeah, Sam had a good post, or I'm sure you guys you guys wrote it, but um, he shared it on Twitter. Like humanists yeah. in the age of AI, the the, yeah. the path to the open and permissionless uh, identity protocol that was a good post. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Um, anything else that we're missing? Anything that you think is like 
people have uninformed opinions on or things that you're really excited about that you guys can, un- things that can be unlocked by WorldCoin that, that we haven't talked about? So like, I think just fundamentally it is, it's very likely going to be the largest onboarding into crypto uh, we have seen so far. Like that's sitting in the inside. I think that's just, that's just what's going to happen in the next 12 months. And that is incredibly important. Um, in, in like a thousand different ways. So we are here uh, and we, we're like, we, we, we talk. Um, so just like if you have concerns or if you have like improvements on, on our code or something, please just engage and, and help. Um, and well, I'm just, I'm just super excited about everything that has happened. It's been, it's been like this crazy journey from reading a super abstract and crazy paper three and a half years ago that sounded like a, like a, um, like it really sounded like, like, like a joke almost. Like I was like dropping out of Caltech for that felt like a mad decision back then, um, to now something that I think has a lot of technological foundation and is about to launch soon. So I think it's going to be a crazy and incredible journey and I, I hope people give us a chance and, and engage with it. Amazing, man. Well, how many, and how many people work there right now or work at the foundation and on the protocol and on everything? Um, so it's a total of 170 people at this point, um, between, yeah, it's like, it's global at this point, but the, nice. the majority, I think it was 150 when I saw you last. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we grow, we grow. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff, man. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, answering some of the tough questions um, for folks to learn more about WorldCoin, just go to the website, download I, the app is still in test flight is my understanding, but you guys are launching it soon. Um, yeah. What's so the I think like action to take here? Yeah. So when, when this, I think when this podcast streams, you, you will be able to download it because it's, uh, we cool. are launching it next week. That's one, two follows on Twitter, join the discord um, and check out the website. Amazing, man. Alex, I have a feeling this will not be the last time you're on Empire, so I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome.